Welcome into the Waiver Fire podcast. Nick and JP are tuning in in the middle of June, feeling the heat, but feeling very good. At least I am. JP, how are you? I'm feeling the heat. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling the heat in more than one ways. Oh, we've 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 got the best ball extravaganza going oh, on. Oh, dude, you- I've been. Oh, yes, I've been hungry. To, I I was going to dive in this this weekend to some best ball, but I I actually went over to Omaha to to watch Auburn lose their first game. But give me a little taste, man. You've been diving into the best ball scene then. Oh man, I totally have. I've been, <laughs> I've got at least like 12 best balls under my oh, belt. Oh, um, underdog fantasy. Oh, underdog is the way to go. That's where the sharks are. If you want to know what ADP is going to be like once you actually get into draft season, that shit that makes you pull your hair out. That's what it is. It's, it's there all, it's there all year. Those are the sharks, man. Have you have you noticed certain players uh, being higher rostered, or have you been decent about distributing your load? I mean, I I uh, I I think I've been decent about getting it done as far as drafting, but like okay, I okay. always, I mean, you always really kind of do uh, yes. if if you're confident about you know your opinions and whatnot. Mm. But you know, you you just have to note that like. As, as fantasy football to- turns towards zero RB as like the the general strategy over right. like the old strategy of of just RB RB RB, right? Um, you can see it going into hyperdrive here in the ADP for best ball on wow. underdog because you know Justin Jefferson Jamar Chase that's four or five. Jeez. 104, 105. And it's and it's not it, it never doesn't happen. Oh like man. you're you're never in a room. I mean the big value goes right after that, mm-hmm. which which I mean you're gonna get Austin Eckler, Derek Henry. I mean, that's right. right afterwards. Right. But uh man, you know, though that's that's two things. That that is fantastic. We are you and I. We definitely have a movie to talk about tonight. We'll be continuing Gus Van Sant's uh, filmography with Drugstore Cowboy. But before we do that, because honestly, it, it has been a little. I, I watched it maybe like a week or so ago at least. It has it has stuck with me. It's a, it's a very good movie. So spoiler alert: if you don't want to hear spoilers, go watch that movie. Pause the podcast and go watch it. I really enjoyed it. But before we get into that, we do have to hit up at least a little mock draft, man. It's been a little while since we've gotten together here. So we're hopping on ESPN. So I'm interested to see how you can kind of navigate this verse underdog fantasy where, where you think the value is uh, based on that and uh, where, where ESPN might just be a little bit crazy. I'm already seeing Alvin Kamara at the 15 spot that just kind of jumps off the page as what is happening. But, uh, but excited to see, and this time JP, we're going to be battling. We are back to back in the draft right here. That's right. And this, this honestly, us two as, as guys who aren't paid 
hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to to tell you who to draft and fantasy football right just having something like this happen is better <sighs> content that i've seen on on most like drafts like like the ballers do the most boring shitty drafts ever like <laughs> like all all they do is just like they'll do like they'll all draft one team right or or they'll they'll draft like every spot of the first round or se- first and second round or something like that right like just compete all right i'm on the clock here you are at the 7th overall pick and, and here's ESPN being ESPN for you. And we're going to take Christian McCaffrey at <laughs> the seventh overall pick. Oh, Lordy. Guys, if you if you want to play fantasy football this year, hop on over to ESPN, apparently, and play with some play with some relatively, you know, you and I have talked ad nauseum about, is it fun even to play with beginners? And, and sometimes it is very fun. And if you want to do that and you want to get seventh overall CMC, Head on over to, to ESPN because they have him at the eighth overall pick. Yeah, that's uh, absurd. But you still leave me with with just fine. And I guess I've done this almost every mock, but but Dalvin Cook is simply underrated in my opinion. And I will continue to take Dalvin Cook being maybe a bit of a homer here in Minnesota, but he's just nasty. He's just so nasty. And I love him, even with his injury history. I don't care. Well, here in this draft, we have uh, just you and me and Team Lees. <laughs> yes, I thought it was going to be you and I versus the first the AI across the board. Team Lees hops in at the last second, so shout out Team yeah, Lees, big time. Way to go! And he went with he went with Najee over CMC. So good for you, brother. All right, it swings back to me in the second with a, a lot of good players being taken. Joe Mixon and Kamara going right before me. That's, that's kind of a bummer. Still left with Lenny and James Conner, which is a choice that I think oh. the ballers discussed. And they actually discussed Aaron Jones in that camp as well. <sighs> Clock ticking down. James mm. Conner just feels like such significant upside. I, I know Lenny did look very good last year. Aaron Jones seems kind of like he's over the hill a little bit. It's just go ahead. JP. It's so You're... tough right here. It's a, it's a tough um, pick, isn't it? Yeah. And Nick I'm going to take Mike Evans. Oh, um, okay. I think, I think Mike Evans is a really solid second round pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a lot of seasons under his belt doing what he does. And he's coming into a season where there's nobody but yes. him for at least for a little while, I don't, I've been listening to ESPN mm-hmm. and they've been trying, they've been trying to say that Godwin's going to be there really week one. Yeah. And I don't no. believe, I don't believe it at all. I don't believe no. it for a second. No, I, I can't imagine that it happens. You know, it does bring up an interesting point. Well, you are in the third round here and Oh boy, these, these ESPN teams, my friend, yeah, we're just going to go ahead and take Travis Kelsey here in the third round. I don't, I don't, <laughs> Not I don't. just the third, but the 307. Well, you this, know what? Just FYI, viewer, listeners, this yeah. this draft is not. It, it's a little wild, but. This is stupid. We'll, we'll, we'll settle into the real picks uh, in, in pretty shortly. Probably after this round, it'll start getting 
getting a little wild, but um, you know, it leaves me with some interesting choices. I, I'm looking at the wide receivers that are there. DJ Moore, Mike Williams, Mike Williams, very interesting. Of course, Zeke would be in a real draft. Zeke would be my slam pick, but I'm going to give a little tip of the cap to Antonio Gibson. I, I think that Antonio Gibson might be a little bit slept on. I know he had injury concerns towards the end of last year, but I, I think he's going to be fantastic this year. I think Carson Wentz is being kind of underrated. I think he's just going to be a fine. And I think that defense is really going to step up again. I, I would have taken Zeke over Antonio Gibson, but usually, but just wanted to give him a little shout out. All right, moving into the fourth, I am three RB, which is where I like to be, but it does kind of, it's thinning out at this point, right? We've got Jalen Waddle, Deontay, who I know you would really like, Amari Cooper, Brandon Cooks. It's it's kind of getting a little scary. Kyle Pitts? Uh, no. I'm just going to take another running back. I'm going to take Elijah Mitchell. I'm, I'm a little scared about Elijah Mitchell because of the new quarterback, but he's been explosive. That offense should be really explosive. And, and just that may be a sucker pick for me, but I, I do like him a lot. Who, who are you feeling on your fifth, fourth pick here? Well, I'm taking Deontay because yeah, uh, this year, more than most years, I feel like we have like an idea of what, like less of an idea of what these fourth round guys are going to do, mm-hmm. which is funny because I have, I feel like I have a really, I have a really good idea of what um, some of these late round guys are going to do. I feel that. And that it's just kind of weird uh, for this year. Well, fourth and fifth round has always been that one where it's like, you, you still feel like you're spending good capital on a player, but things are getting iffier and iffier. And so it makes sense why it's kind of feels like a sticky spot there. But uh, I think, I think Deontay's just fine pick there. How about back in the fifth year? This could be your first kind of snipe opportunity to, to grab a player that, I mean, there's, there's a few that I'm interested in, but uh Excited to see where you go here. Oh, sorry. I think I lost connection there for a second. Oh, oh, no problem. I thought that was a I thought that was a big burger bite, to be honest. No. All right. We're back and hmm, round five. Round five. I think we're gonna go with Hollywood Brown here okay. in round five. That was certainly a mild snipe for sure. He was he was the wide receiver that I wanted. Boy, really punting wide receivers on this draft because I'm going to go with – man, can I really go George Kittle after going Elijah Mitchell there? I guess I – think, I think it's fine to think of tight ends as wide receivers, especially if you're going to go get one of those high-profile ones. Yeah. It's just an extra pass catcher. If you're going to get George Kittle, Darren Waller, or something like that, mm-hmm. don't ever feel bad about that over a pat, like a wide receiver like Darnell Mooney or yeah. something like that. I'm kind of I'm kind of just going to take my Cordero Patterson right here, but I will say because my time was running out, I will say the ballers have kind of shifted my eyes onto Miles Sanders a little bit, and the Miles Sanders versus Cordero Patterson is one that I really need to kind of sink my teeth into a little bit more. I think 
I think they're both probably going to be pretty good, but Miles Sanders might be the smarter pick over Patterson. It's going to be tough there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I don't know if it's just the ballers. Like, I don't know. If, mm-hmm. I don't think it's the ballers, really. Okay. I think it's just, like, every year, Miles Sanders always flirts around with that one to two, three to four pick. Or not one to two, but, like, two to three, three to four pick or something like that with ADP. Yeah. And of course, I'm always out there, but he's – He's falling. He's falling and falling and falling. Another player, the ballers have kind of hyped me up about Dalton Schultz. I'm pretty excited by him. The sixth round, it feels a little early for him. He wasn't going to make it back to me, and I'm kind of nervous about the tight ends after him. Hawkinson, Goddard, Gasicki, they're okay. But I think I think Schultz could have a pretty massive year, actually, with Cooper gone. Who are you feeling here in the sixth? Hmm. I'm not seeing a whole lot of value here, mm-hmm. but I do like to load up at wide receiver. Yes. Dart Elijah Moore is just such a, uh, he's such a rocket. I think I might hitch on to it. I feel like it's more valuable than me taking a quarterback right here. I think so. I think the Jets um, are going to be solid. I think the Jets are going to be a solid offense this year, and he should at least for the first part of it be be quite valuable, man. I think that's a sneaky play right there. Yeah. It is in the seventh, and you, you do have players like Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers here. You know, there's plenty of quarterbacks, but it is it is getting a little dicier to find value. The running backs are Clyde is not bad. A.J. Dillon also not bad. Kind of falls off a cliff after that. Yeah. Um, just because of how I've been drafting, I have to take AJ Dillon here at, at oh, round seven. Gotcha. Um, I this is my second running back that I picked. So I don't really have a choice here in a, <laughs> in a better situation where maybe I had taken like two running backs at the beginning. I would have picked Tom Brady there. Yeah. He would have gone for me over Aaron or Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I would have picked Joe Burrow next after Tom. I think I'm going to continue to punt. I, I still have not picked up a single wide receiver, and I'm just interested to see how that plays out. I'm going to grab Clyde here. Because my kind of, uh, I got this little um, carousel of running back here between Elijah Mitchell, Patterson, and Clyde. And I'm honestly just excited to see what starting with wide receivers in round eight can net you. I mean, the wide receivers at this point, Adam Thielen, I, I wouldn't mind, honestly, Adam Thielen being, I do have Dalvin Cook, though. That's a little frustrating. You want to, here's what I think. I think you need to either take Adam Thielen or Rashad Bateman. And I think yeah. you probably should pick Rashad Bateman because he's, I mean, it's a small pie as we all right. know, right. but that we, we vacated like a 22%, like a hundred and like six catch player, like a hundred and like, 
you, you talked me into it, man. You talked me into it. I, I was going to pick Aaron Rodgers, but there's plenty of quarterbacks, and, and I just can't imagine Aaron Rodgers actually has an elite season, whereas Russell Wilson could very well have an elite season. Um, right. Trey Lance could have could have an elite. There, there's just higher upside, and well, you're right. I, it, mm-hmm. I took Burrow there. Okay. All right. Burrow could have an elite season. Um, so I, I like it. I honestly kind of wanted to take Hopkins just to completely continue punting wide receiver, but, but I think Bateman's a good pick and oh, Thielen, please make it back. Oh, the auto drafters ate him. Oh man. Claypool. I wouldn't have my, really, I would not have minded Claypool as a two, which is extreme variance upside there. Who are you feeling well, now in the ninth? We are, uh, we're operating separately of each other. We are. We kind of diverge quickly and fully in this draft, which is fun. Yeah, this is this is a lot different. This is um, the Melvin Gordon pick, right? Or is that tenth round? That might be a tenth round. Uh, Melvin Gordon. Well, no, it's okay. not the Melvin Gordon pick. Okay, because you're not going to pick Melvin Gordon. <coughs> no, and. Um, no, <laughs> unless how, you are, how dare going, you, unless you're going to right now. Cause you're so angry. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you don't need Russell Gage JP. I know, but he was the value on the board. <laughs> oh, no. no, Russell Gage, Tom Brady called his cell phone and told you him to come Mike Evans. You, That's true. You significant bastard. God damn it. Don't, oh, boy. I don't know, man. I, oh, oh, Lord. All right. Hey, it's time to start taking wide receiver ones in the 10th, in the ninth round. Al wide Lazard, receiver ones. Al yeah, Lazard, that could be a, Sky Moore. Please, baby, be the wide receiver one in, in Green Bay there. Sky Moore. Oh, buddy. Yeah. Sky Moore, Sky Moore is interesting upside. Dude, you know, what about, what about Christian Watson? Well, it would be interesting to go Watson and Lazard and just kind of ping pong that, that seems like a ping pong misery, like hell um, players. I'm kind of actually thinking are like MVS. Um, you know, Robert Woods is kind of sneaky actually. Kenny Galladay's kind of sneaky, but I think I think uh, Mike of the Ballers has really talked me into MVS as just very much potentially the the one there getting the most money in KC, obviously behind Kelsey, but but again, this is kind of a zero wide receiver strategy, and it's really all about upside. Bateman, Lazard, MVS all have kind of they could be terrible they could be home run stars so oh okay so you yeah i did take melvin um i thought a little bit about it before i did it because rashad penny (laughs) was right there penny's interesting for sure um but all in all i would take the running back with a good quarterback versus a running back with nothing yes 
Nothing. Oh, God, the, the poor Seahawks. Well, JP, you've navigated this draft fantastically. Um, we are into the ESPN auto-drafting defenses and kickers, so it's going to get a little weirder, but but I think we can probably go ahead and, and – I think we can flesh this whole one out, right? Fill up the roster the, the way it's going. It's pretty fast. Yeah, it's going It's going pretty fast right now. What are you feeling here? Uh, I've added Ramondre here. Okay. Kind of a forgotten name. Um, I feel like he, New England in general kind of forgotten. Yeah, he's he's an able-bodied fellow. Yes. No, he he's not he's not like one of these guys that's always sick or anything like that. Like he's he's just gonna slam up the middle and it's up to you if you blocked good enough for, for Mondre, I guess. I think he's solid. Um, we should probably dive into the Patriots at some point. It was like a little five minute and, and following up kind of Mike's, you know, sitting on my shoulder with MVS, he's really kind of cheered me on about Trey Lance as upside. I, I am nervous, but at the 11th round, it's, it's kind of one of those picks that you can, I mean, you can throw that away if it doesn't work out, you know, by week two or so you'll, you should know what you have. So you can always find a quarterback on the waiver wire and Trey Lance could be exciting as a quarterback. Could be. All right. At this point, I literally only have three wide receivers and three more bench spots. So I am, I am basically going to force the issue with three more wide receivers. And quite honestly, JP, I have not drafted this deep into mocks yet this entire off season. So seeing some of these names, let me tell you about some of this because (laughs) I've, I've been super deep into them with the, um, Oh, sure. Best ball. So yeah. I'm just looking right now. I see Tim Patrick I was, down the I wide was receiver just, list. I was he, just about to pick Tim Patrick. I'm yeah. right with you, man. Tim Patrick. Tim, it was kind of Tim Patrick or, you know, Jarvis is a little interesting in New Orleans. Um, I think, I think Kenny G is interesting at this point in the draft. Uh, there's, I think there still is upside, but I'm with you, man. Tim Patrick, you know, all the hype on Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, rightfully so. But Tim Patrick has proven to be an NFL talent and, and could be very nice. I mean, he's a bench player, but he could fit in pretty sweetly. Yeah, I don't know exactly who to pick right now, but mm. I'm just going down to some of the value that I see. There you go. I took Alexander Madison. He's a guy you're going to keep on your bench no matter what. I think I think Dalvin Cook, could the wheels could fall off at any second. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. I think they, I think they might've already fallen off and we just didn't notice it. JP, you bastard. How dare you say that? He's just, per, he's just pretending and we just don't, haven't noticed it. <laughs> Could he be. thinks, he thinks we're not looking at his statistics. Oh, we are. You're harsh, man. You're, you're, you're absolutely, you're dead on. You are dead on. Um, it's tough to see, you know, my, I probably could have picked him as my backup, but I have, Basically, Cordero Patterson and Clyde are kind of my insurance for Dalvin Cook in this weird draft here. It is tough to kind of see Irv Smith all the way here in the 13th round. It kind of makes me regret the Dalton Schultz. It won't happen. It won't happen when real people are behind the the draft. People will be panicking for for tight end really late, and Irv Smith will go. I, I took Van Jefferson. Oh, that's that's a fantastic pick. That, that's a really solid snipe pick there. Van Jefferson in the 14th is, is really sexy. Big upside there. If if Allen Robinson is, is as dead as he, he looked last year, could be great. 
Um, I'm looking at also players upside. I see, I see Rondale Moore in Arizona is pretty interesting. I think, um, I think Michael Gallup in Dallas is also very interesting. Hmm. I'm not, I'm not interested in Gallup. Just the injury. Yeah. I think it's a little much. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was just mm, good. Maybe in best ball or, or something like that. I could see, uh, I mean, I, I've been looking a lot down here at, uh, what is his name? I just had him. I mean, DJ Chark is kind of interesting in Detroit. Well, you got George Pickens. Yes, Pitt, he's also interesting. Pitt knows how to pick them. They really do. You're right. Um, that's kind of it, right? It kind of. KJ Osborne is good eh. in best ball. Yeah, and best guy getting like nine targets a game at times, which is I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna finish up with Rondale Moore. I think there's early season upside, and if he if he strikes, he he could be very solid. I know it's Hopkins and oh, and and you went with Pickens. That's nice, man. You you had a fantastic draft, JP. Um, let's go ahead and I mean we have defense and kicker, but go ahead and read off your team to finish us off. All right, I went um. McCaffrey and then Evans and then oh my auto pick would be Browns D which is what I was going to pick there you go that's fine all right Burrow is my quarterback um so I had McCaffrey Evans Johnson Kelsey Hollywood Elijah Moore Russell Gage, Melvin Gordon, Ramondre, Madison, Van Jefferson, Pickens. I think it's fantastic. Obviously, if CMC gets hurt again, you're 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 tough on RBs a little bit, but and Dylan. I don't think I said Dylan. Yeah, that's that's nice. I finished up with Trey Lance, Dalvin Cook, James Connor, Rashad Bateman as my wide receiver one. Alan Lazard, Dalton Schultz, Antonio Gibson, Elijah Mitchell, Cordero Patterson, Clyde, MVS, Tim Patrick, Gallup, and Rondale Moore. Certainly not my favorite draft, but but an interesting way to go, and it was awesome to to go head to head. We'll, uh, you know, you kind of buttered my biscuits a little bit, JP, and, and I don't want to necessarily throw cash at each other and battle in best ball. But maybe we do that, or maybe you and I kind of co-pick a best ball in, in an upcoming pod, something like that. I think well, uh, we could do that, or we could uh, we could do me and you could do a, a like a big boy best ball slow draft. Ooh, where we have ten hours per pick, and oh, we man. can we can talk about it. Oh man, we could absolutely do that. That would, that would be like a, that could be like a running little check-in throughout the, I guess, week or two weeks. I, I don't know how long those typically take, but yeah, man, that, that sounds, we'll, we'll talk off pod about what we do next, but yeah, solid draft and we'll continue to do things for it, but let's, uh, let's spend some time on our next uh, film discussion. 
obviously let me, let oh, me, go uh, i'm gonna go i'm gonna go to the restroom right quick oh yeah sure sure let me hit pause all right man let's uh let's talk drugstore cowboy this is gus van sant's second film following the discussion we had a couple weeks ago about his debut mala noche and this film came out in 1989 kind of um you know, I honestly don't know the the backstory be- behind the kind of financing of this film, but certainly the his first kind of Hollywood film, if you will, with some with some name recognition of Matt Dillon starring and and a couple other kind of I guess Kelly Lynch at this point had probably been in a few things, but and uh, so it's kind of getting a little bit more mainstream uh, word of mouth and. And received very good critic review at the time. Um, not sure, honestly, about the box office. Looks like looks like it was a cheap film that almost doubled its money. So I'm sure that it was a fine success. And uh, besides all that, man, what are your what are your overall impressions? How did you like this film? Well, I first saw this film probably back in uh, my just out of high school days. You know. Okay in the back in the back in the days of me torrenting pretty much everything that i watch right um and i know a lot of people still live live and die by the torrent but i have kind of slowed down for the most part drugstore cowboy definitely got onto my computer through a torrent i i still live that life right um most of the time what i watch is it's going to be like new programming and stuff like that. So I end up seeing that through like really conventional streaming services. Gotcha. Anyway. Yeah. So back in the day, I just saw drugstore cowboy. I loved it as a kid. It, uh, young rebellious, um, drug enthused me thought that, that this was badass. you know, like right. uh, Matt Dillon played this, smart but but cool character that ends up kind of trying to turn over a new leaf halfway through the movie kind of like a clockwork orange type thing where you're wild 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 and then you're just chill um i mean i I love it i i love the i love the use of uh of luck as a theme in this movie Mm mm-hmm um, the Matt Dillon's character is obsessed with with signs and luck and curses and things like that, which, you know, if you've never gambled in your life, you probably think that that's a bunch of bullshit. But you, 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 you start thinking about some of these things sometimes that it's probably not real, but but uh it's the signs you know for sure the signs the hat on the bed (laughs) you know the hat that's what the guy says bob you know what's his name the the guy bob at the end um bob gets shot he does and this cop the one that's been following them around the whole time he, he tells him it was the hat great line oh, man it was the hat <laughs> i think I, I have no doubt in my mind that he truly believed that 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 right. was 
that that was the cause, the, the biggest cardinal sin of bad luck there. Right. I, I'm and totally go ahead, go ahead, JP. I just want to say that the, the, the one scene that has always stuck in my mind is, mm-hmm. is the motel scene. The one okay. where they find out that it's a friggin' cop convention in the motel right. and they, this girl just overdosed and they oh. were about to dip out, but now they can't, they've got to really get rid of the body now. Right man that's it, intense it, he it did is. it they did it well he you know van sant he really and this and this this movie went from went from like 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 his his career started out as this just bare bones crazy black and white like thing that was just like it seems like it could have been thought up in like one night or something like this. Right. To, to this movie. That's just so well put together. Mm. Um, the story and, and, and like the direction of it, like I just, I see so much growth from, from film one to film two here more, probably more than I've ever seen. For somebody starting out, you know, we've got we've got David with his first film, a fantastic Martin with his first film. You can see his chops yes. on the first film. But this this is an explosion of of competency and just creativity. I, I totally echo a lot of your sentiments. I, I also think that it's a huge step up. I, I'm a big, big fan of the film. I think it serves as something that you know, as somebody who collects movies, this will be hitting my kind of physical collection. It's it's a great movie. Um, obviously, <clears throat> some there are still some rusty parts to be had. Some some acting chops or lines delivered that come off a little stale. But overall, um, just a powerful story and, and something that you know you related. Uh, you know your teens uh, feeling very relatable in kind of a, a positive way. I, I also kind of relate to this movie very much. So not just through the drug use, which thankfully I, I did not go down this deep down the rabbit hole or even close to that extent, thankfully, but still the idea of addiction and, and wanting to kind of get better, but also feeling, how should I say, feeling like the addiction is kind of a game to be played and that getting back into it or in and out of it is kind of in some ways you can say it's like against your own free will and and you kind of leave it up to situations to kind of guide you to do that so so i really honestly related to his unfortunate kind of in my opinion downturn towards or at the end when he um basically dives back into his life of addiction based on you know, what he thinks is circumstance allowing him to do so. And then even to more extent, obviously I was, I was very addicted to theft uh, throughout college. And that honestly, I look even more down on myself that on that than the, than the drug use and, and the scenes where, when they're, they're ripping these pharmacies off. um, I mean, they're, they're simple scenes, right? Like you have the one girl kind of fake a seizure and then he goes back and busts them up with crowbars. Obviously I also did not go that deep into theft. Thankfully I did not go that deep, but, but I did go deep enough to, 
to go around stores with scissors and cut open things to, you know, cut out alarms and certainly more than just grabbing a candy bar and walking out of the store. And, and I look very harshly on myself for that. Not, not to the extent of like regretting or hating myself, but just as like a dark time. And, and I just think this movie, like you said, it's so polished and so realistic. Um, I feel like the characters are so relatable um, realistic in, in their portrayal, in their dimensions and what they're looking for and why they're looking for it. And then ultimately the lack of continual payoff that they receive. I mean, when I kind of in my mind compare this to what I, I guess you could quote unquote, say drug movies like Requiem for a Dream, Basketball Diaries, Blow, Blow, The Fighter, even with, um, Christian Bale's heroin addiction and the fighter Scarface train spotting. Oh, train spotting is that's, that's a good one. And I mean, I just to, to like compare to this one. Yes. That that one um, seems pretty relevant. Very relevant. And and they're all fantastic in my opinion. I mean, basketball diaries is, is okay, but they're all very good (laughs) movies, but but I would say honestly that this one, I, I don't really know what it is about it. Maybe it's the, well, I think it's a few things, JP, of why I, I felt most connected with the actual drug use and addiction of this film compared to others. I think first off, what was something fascinating, if I'm recalling correctly, JP, is that obviously it showed drug use. It showed the characters high, but it never really like, tried to do one of those artsy depictions of somebody right. being high is yeah, that it, yeah i understand what you're saying it wasn't like a like a vehicle for 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 like entertainment it, it was always just part of the story more than just like oh this is where we all take mushrooms or right. something like that like or like requiem for a dream where it just goes it just goes wild with the, with the mother taking pills and you get these kind of elaborate or artistic hallucinations, hallucinations. And, and in this one, you, you don't get any sort of, I mean, I, I think we just all naturally understand their mindset and, and how they're, you know, what they're going through when they're high. We don't need these kind of, I'm not knocking those films, but I'm just saying, yeah, that's just not that, what this is. Right. This one, it's just, it plays it straight. It plays it as, as just a solid component of their lives. And, um, and that they're actually, even though I guess, I guess they don't show heroin in this film, but they show some, some hard drugs and they're still almost all somewhat functional. You know, I mean, I kind of classically compare it with Requiem when, when he goes by the mom's house, remember with the, with his uh, wife and, and he's basically asking for clothes from his mom and, right. and his mom lets him in and, and you compare that to Requiem or basketball diaries where the mothers say no in both films and lock him each child out um, because they're scared of theft. Um, well, in, in Requiem, the mother is a, is, is a television junkie. Well, that's true for sure. But she still locks her child out, I believe, to not steal the, like the washing machine or the TV. So um, but but it's just kind of fascinating about just how it's a little bit more real. I mean, they're I guess they're all realistic. Anyways, my point is that I felt very connected 
with the trauma that was happening. And ultimately that resulted in me being more horrified at the ending. I mean, Requiem for a Dream is so strikingly horrible and, and awful at the end, but this one probably sinks in just personally a little deeper about the, the disappointment of, of relapse and just, just really loved it, man. I think it was a, a total step up and I, I'm excited to see more. Obviously you said it great. Like, Gus proved his chops in Mala Noche, showed that there's a lot to be excited for, but that sometimes that doesn't pan out. And boom, with with a sophomore shot, we, we already get something that's that's a keeper again, in my opinion. So right. And and mm-hmm. it, honestly, I didn't get that with with um with Scorsese. From no like, from was like it? his first few films i mean it was yeah it was film four or five by the time i was like oh this is a masterpiece or something absolutely or even even a keeper you know i i'm totally with you with the was the fil- second film was it alice or quickly trying to check um because i can't exactly recall or was it boxcar it was it was boxcar bertha so that was I mean, I found that to be hilarious, but certainly no keeper. I think people, a lot of people praise Mean Streets. I, I didn't think Mean Streets was necessarily a keeper. And then it yeah, wasn't really, as good as Drugstore Cowboy. No, no, it wasn't. And, and it, it took till Taxi Driver, obviously, to just make a masterpiece. But but I, I'm totally with you. I would say, so you called out the, the sheriff uh, convention scene, which is fantastic because of how it's portrayed it could have easily come off as just you know almost like um what's the film uh las vegas with with johnny depp about drugs oh fear and loathing fear and loathing i mean it could have gotten it could have been that kind of but gonzo reality but it, yeah it, i mean that's the art that's the artistic drug shit that you were talking about that it doesn't right, do right it just plays it as as a couple sheriff cars in the parking lot and and some sheriffs roaming around maybe having some coffee in the lobby and it's just it's really nicely done it's very believably done for as ridiculous of a situation as it is it's kind of like um you know the story recall the story in pulp fiction uh not Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, when um, the kind of undercover cop tells a story to the crew to kind of get on their good graces. And he tells a story about having a bunch of weed on him as he goes into the bathroom and there's like six cops and a German <laughs> shepherd or something like that. It is a hilarious oh my story. God. Yeah. Um, uh, Tim Roth. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Great name pull there, JP. Nicely done. And, and this was kind of like it, but played it straight and, and obviously with more, far more severe consequences with a dead body being being pulled out in, in what, like a suit jacket or something? Or was it just trash bags? I can't exactly recall, but super gruesome and oh, man. So, so comparing, I, I honestly thought that similarly, I thought one of the more striking scenes, which was which was brutal, but beautiful was actually the disposal of the body scene where you see Matt Dillon hoisting this body around in thick or um, Portland, not Portland, Oregon woods, like uh, Oregon terrain. And it's, it's just strikingly rich in green and a place that 
I'm sure is amazing to go hiking and stuff and, and for him to kind of view it as, as the disposal spot, it just really, it presents fantastic contrast and, and it was kind of the turning point in the character, right. Where he kind of, you know, he, he apparently made a deal with God about how, if he got out of this mess, he'd, he'd go straight. So that was probably my personal favorite scene. It's a, it's a quiet scene. It's not a long scene, but I really enjoyed the kind of trek through the woods to, to bury the, the body of Nadine it was pretty powerful. Yeah. Whew. Well, I'm glad that we both enjoyed it to the same degree and, and got something out of it. I'm glad that on your second watch through it was still powerful and good. I, I think it's fantastic. And I'm excited that you've um, picked Gus for our, for our director to tour through. We do have just two years later coming out with what, what I kind of would consider, you know, besides goodwill hunting coming up, um, probably his second most famous film i think in my own private idaho do you think that's true just from a public perspective uh gus van zant's second um i mean maybe finding forrester maybe milk but uh, i think definitely milk okay i mean it is more contemporary it was more of a blockbuster with sean penn um so okay oh no wait so the big ones are uh goodwill hunting mm -hmm. and milk right i think those are probably top two. i think i think my own private idaho probably in like the film circles would would pop off the page more but but maybe from a public perspective milk um maybe people more people are familiar with it but um, regardless i think my own private idaho is considered you know kind of a, a classic in some ways um i've never seen it before yeah it's all it's all about river being on it well that's very exciting for sure and in 1991 my only impression of this film i think is that it portrays river phoenix and keanu being gay for each other i think and I if think. that's if that's the case early 90s portrayal of homosexuality not extremely common so um yeah excited to see it excited to see what gus can do with it it seems like i mean i i get the impression that gus um his first two films malanoche and drugstore cowboy are both films that he very much personally wanted to do N neither neither were like cash grabs or anything like that and it seems like he keeps that going like he does what he wants to do and gets right. it done so um yeah, very excited to watch it. And uh, I know, JP, that you are, well, first off, congratulations, man. You have moved to the big city. We need to tell here, the pod dude. that. Yeah, we're. I'm living in Birmingham now. I don't work at Key of Auburn anymore. Um, thinking about joining up with one of the Kia outfits up here, but I'm not totally okay. sold yet. Um, well, that is what's up. And, and if you, you know, as you're kind of moving, transitioning there, you know, if you need to to skip a week or whatever, move days, just kind of uh, let me know. But but if things settle down, we'll uh, we'll tune back next week for my own private Idaho and potentially uh, some version of best ball or, or fantasy relevance. Yep. Can't wait to talk to you about it next week. See you All then. Right, man. Take care. Bye.